The message you're about to listen to is a recording from God's favorite house. It is our prayer that you listen, your life will be transformed, and you will be taken to greater heights in your walk with Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you listen to this message. Last week, Pastor taught us four principles about full recovery. And the first one was repentance. By the way, I'd like to say that if you don't come for tribe, because we studied repentance last tribe, I encourage you to come. It's like when you are when you eat, you eat balanced diet, right? So not coming to tribe is taking away some of the diet in your spiritual balanced diet. So I will encourage you. There are, there are, there are rooms for Sunday service. There are rooms for night videos. There are rooms for prayer and praise chain. But when you understand and you ask questions in the Bible, is try. So I will encourage you to come to try. So we thought about repentance and, and um, we exposed that on Wednesday. And then after repentance, he talked about intercession, where Joseph interceded for his friends and he had it towards him getting his breakthrough. And after that was supernatural touch. And after supernatural touch was thanksgiving. And we, we, we went through all that principle. But before he, he thought that, at, at the beginning, he talked about the fact that you have the supernatural and you have the natural. So in the supernatural is God has declared that this is going to happen and so shall it be. Nobody can declare. But sometimes, some of those things you require a gestation period. And I think he gave an example, like for example, um, God, for, for people that are looking for the truth of the womb, God says you're going to have children. By the grace of God, it has been spoken and you will conceive. But however, when you conceive, you're still going to have to be in the, um, you're still going to have to carry that pregnancy for nine months. So that's the gestation period. So this morning, what we're going to be talking about, I mean, God worked with us instantly, silently, and completely. Amen? That's correct. So, but this morning, what we're going to be talking about is that during the period, we know that we have received our full recovery. But some of those things will take time for manifestation. So during the period of manifestation, which is the gestation period, what are the things we're supposed to do? We have responsibility as well. God has done his own work. We have responsibility. So what are those things that we're going to do? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. That for those of us that we have been told and God has declared so many things in our life, during the period that the manifestation is taking place, for example, you're looking for a contract. Yeah, they still have to do a bid. They still have to announce. God will have to see. Those are the gestation period. It's going to be yours. But those are the gestation period. And during those gestation period, there are going to be, you know, there, there are going to be temptations. There are going to be things that are going to come your way. How do you live during that period? That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Um, for example, some people, I mean, you, you get pregnant, and that's when your auntie will come or your mother-in-law will come and say, let's go and see this man so that the pregnancy doesn't go away. You know, you have been waiting for a long time. That's not acceptable. So that's what we're talking about this, this morning. So without wasting time, and also, I'd like to let you know that we'll, we'll do that in a minute. You know, I asked a lot of questions, and I'm sure some people have asked this question. God will do it again. Where is that from? It's in the Bible. Absolutely the Bible. And we're going to see that in a short while. So without wasting time, this morning, our topic that we're going to be talking about is latter glory. Latter glory. And our reading is going to come from Agai chapter 2, verse 1 to 9. Letter glory. Agai chapter 2, verse 1 to 9. This is the MSG version. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of God came through to the prophet Agai. Tell governor Zerubbabel, son of 
Shetel, and High Priest Joshua, son of Jezoada, and all the people. Is there anyone here who saw the temple the way it used to be? All glorious. And what do you see now? Not much, right? So get to work, Zerubbabel. God is speaking. Get to work. Joshua, son of Jezera, high priest, get to work. All you people, God is speaking. Yes, get to work, for I am with you. The God of the angel, Amis, is speaking. Put into action the word. Covenanted with you when you left Egypt. Remember that verse when we're going to talk. I'm living and breathing among you right now. Don't be timid. Don't hold back. This is what God of the angel army said. Before you know it, I will shake up sky and earth, ocean and fields, and I will shake down all the godless nations. They will bring bushels of wealth, and I will fill the temple with splendor. God of angel army says so. I own the silver. I own the gold. The decree of God of the angel armies. This temple I'm going to end up far better than it started. A glorious beginning, but an even more glorious finish. A place in which I will hand out wholeness, holiness, decree God of angels, of armies. If you look at the KJV version, the Bible says the glory of the latter shall be better than the former. So what that means is that when you get your full recovery, you're going to be better off than where you were, where you started from. That is what it means, simple, because we're in season of full recovery. Now, um, these folks at this time, they've been, in, um, they've been in, in bondage in Babylon, and God was going to deliver them. And he was telling them, don't worry about the temple that has been destroyed, that the one I'm going to build, the future I'm going to give to you, is going to be better than what you've had before. And that's exactly, so God was recovering them in a better way than the way they were. It's been told to them. So that's what we're talking about this morning. That once we have been recovered, but what are the things that we need to do during that period? We're going to read our second um, Bible reading, Exodus 3, verse 12. And this explains what I said before. You know, God was telling those folks in, in, in the previous uh, verse that we read, the verses that we read, that as I've done before, when I took you, you know, He told Aaron and Moses and said, You know, I'm with you. I'm going to take you out of Egypt. Exactly the same thing He was telling. Joshua, in that, in that place we read. So God has done it before, and he did it again. That's the principle of God, we do it again. So it's from the Bible. It's not, it's not something that, you know, everything we do here comes from the Bible. And I'll read it for you. He said, I'll be with you, God said, and this will prove that I'm the one who sent you when you have, when you have brought my people out of Egypt. You will worship God right here at this very moment. So God was telling um, Aaron and Moses here. And that's exactly what God told um, Joshua in the, in, the, in the place we read. So God used it again. It's a principle from heaven. So it's a principle from heaven. So I just want us to understand that basis. Uh, and that's, that's, uh, that's why I read that. So our first reading, I, I mean, another, our next reading is going to be Exodus 39, verse 1 to 9. Verses 1 to 9. And let's read carefully. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of, Egyptian, of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and he became his attendant. 
Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to this care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in house, in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care, with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has, held, has withheld nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife, how then could I do you such a wicked, could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? I, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, keep going, and he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. May the Lord bless his reading of his words. If you look at that story, we all know the story of Joseph, right? He, he had a dream that he was going to be greater than all his siblings. And like most of us, out of excitement, he told them. And in that process, they decided that they're going to truncate what God has done. So by the time he got to Egypt, I mean, we know the story, they wanted to kill him, they, uh, one of them begged and they threw him in the pit and all that. By the time he got to Egypt, his recovery had begun. He was in the process of recovery, of going back to the destiny that God had created for him. But here comes a conflict at this point. So our first thing that we're going to talk about this morning, we're going to, our first point this morning is that our co commitment to God must be above all of our conflicts. In any situation that we are, our commitment to God must be above all conflicts that we come about. And those conflicts will come, especially at this period that we are, we are having our recovery, we are doing our exchange, we are taking back from the enemy what God has, what, what, what God has given to us that had been taken away from us, or what God has planned for us that has not been, that has not been manif that has not manifested. So this period, we must ensure that our commitment to God, Joseph has said, how can I do such a wicked thing? And sin against God. And honestly, I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you something. For a young man, well-built, handsome, single at that time, there's nothing as tempting as an opposite sex. It's a statement of fact. There's nothing more tempting. The, the biggest temptation that he had was what he had. But he remembered his commitment. And probably he remembered where he was going. That no, I'm not going to sin against God. All of us, at one time or the other, we're going to be in that situation and we need to say our commitment to God is above this. What am I going to do? I'm going to face God. I'm going to commit to God. So that's, that's, that's the first thing that we need to put in our mind. I remember that pastor has shared this here several times that a long time ago there used to be a gentleman that was giving him a lot of money regularly, you know, for different things, just blessing him. He wasn't asking, pastor wasn't asking him. And he said that the man came and said, um, you're talking too much about Jesus. You can't, you can't do that. He said, well, too bad. I I'm not going to change. And that's it. He, he, he committed himself and said, look, I'm going to follow Jesus. You can hold your money. And so that's the position that we all need to be. That's where we, that's, that's where we need to be at all times. The Bible says that the way that seems to right to man, but the end is destruction. It's only the way of God that is, is the true way. 
um, I'll share a soft story. And by the way, as we go along, when we read the Bible story on every, every point, we share a short story. By the grace of God, we have, um, we have two kids and we have a wonderful 12-year-old daughter, which I, I share a very good relationship with. And she's, um, she doesn't care about phones. I mean, she doesn't really care. She's had a pastel phone that we gave to her so that we can call her when we're not home. And she doesn't have internet on it, or she didn't have internet on it, let me put it that way. Every time, the only time that she gets to, to be able to use it on internet is when his mom, her mom or myself are home. That's the only time. And she, she tells her friend, I don't have access to internet except my parents are home. So she uses her Wi-Fi. So during this last holiday, uh, as a 12-year-old, we felt, okay, let's, let's get her a package. It's 500 naira a week to get internet. And she can do WhatsApp alone. So she, was, she does WhatsApp with her friends. Of, I mean, all of them we know, right? And of course, she has a mom that will sneak into her room and read all the messages when, <laughs> when she's asleep. So that way, we know everything that is ongoing. Protection is there. But so she, she got used to it, and she was chatting with some of her friends and all that. And she went ahead and created a WhatsApp group for the family. So that afternoon, all of us were chatting on it, and we're, you know, we're praising her and all that. And then she moved gradually from there into a soapbox and said, um, by the way, I need an iPhone. Okay, so I'm thinking, where's that coming from? <laughs> and she said, well, blah, blah, blah. And then she, she started saying something like, yeah, some of my friends have, and I came really strong, really hard. I said, if you go, if you, if you told that line, that's exactly my word, if you told that line, it's not going to pay you at all. And she came back, this is the public chat, well, this is the family chat. And she said, what does told mean? I said, if you follow that line, it's not, going to, it's not going to end very well. She said, okay, okay, dad, thanks. And we chatted and we forgot about it. A few days later, so I sent her a private chat. I said, what are you doing? She said she was watching a, a program. Um, they call it Dance Mom. And I, I, sat, I sat down with her before to watch that program. What happened is that children, were comp they compete for dancing competition in the U.S. And the parents were, so, I mean, they're so, they're so agitated. They'll be screaming and yelling at each other and all that. So I said, I don't really like this program. They're yelling and, and screaming. And she said, well, they love each other. They just yell and scream so that they can get the best out of each other. He said, so, I mean, it's, it's not a bad program. And then she, she, she quickly pointed me to, to, please bring it up, to a chart. This is our chart. Okay, you can't, you can't see very well. She, she quickly pointed me to it, and she said, we love, we love and care for each other. She was telling me that. But I argue sometimes because I want an iPhone, but I can't get one because she said until I'm 13. And I said, eh, but you know your family loves you even if you are yet to get an iPhone. She said, yes, we all love each other no matter what. Now, my 12-year-old was telling me, Dad, you didn't get me an iPhone, but I'm committed to you. That's what she was telling me. She was reminding me that, that though I didn't get an iPhone from you, I still love you and I'm committed to you. That's the way, the Bible says that we should act like children. That's the way we're supposed to act with God. That even when we're waiting for something and we don't have it, we need to be committed to God. To, we need to be committed to God. She was telling me that. I mean, you can see it's a life chart. So for me, I, I mean, I kept that chart, and it's a big reminder for me that even when I quarrel with people that I really like, you know, the commitment should be above the conflict. Praise the Lord. So our discipline focus must mitigate all of our distractions in everything that we're doing, our discipline focus on God must mitigate all of our distraction. You know? 
So that is the position where we have to be at all times with God. When we're waiting, this prayer that we're waiting, we must, we must, we, we must commit ourselves to God. Obstacles, you know, Henry Ford said something. He said, obstacles are, 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 are the things you see when you take your eyes off the goal. I put distractions in the middle. You know, what's, what's the goal? The ultimate goal is to serve our Father. So all the other things, the Bible says seek ye first. All the other things are supposed to be added. So those things should not be our focus. Serving our Father and loving our God should be our focus. And those things should be added. So what Henry Ford was saying here was that when you focus on the goal, you don't see the obstacles, you don't see the distraction. But when you focus on the other things, then it becomes a distraction. And that takes you away from the plan of God. If Joseph had slept with that woman, that would have been the end of, of his destiny. Praise the Lord. Our next reading is going to be Daniel 3, verse um, 1 to 18. But because of our time, I'm not sure I'm going to read um, all of them. Please just go to verse 10. Go to verse 10. We all know the story of um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flutes, lie, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. Go to, go to 15. Let's keep going. We all know the story. But I just want to point out Keep going, please. Okay. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, if we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter, if we were thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve you, we will not serve your gods, or worship the image of gold you have set up. Now, we know the story, right? So these folks are saying that, look, whatever happens, our God is more than enough to save us. But even if he, don't, if he doesn't save us, our commitment to him will not take us away from from. I mean, to do what you want us to do. So our second point, we're, going to, we're, we're talking about this. Our trust in God must be limitless. Our absolute trust in God must be limitless. Irrespective of the circumstances or situation that we are. Our trust must, there's no limit. These guys did not put a limit on their trust with God. Because even at this point that their life depended on it, they told the king, the Bukandesa, that, look, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to do what you are telling me to do even if my God did not save me. So our, our trust in God must be totally, totally, you know, must be limitless. The Bible says that the glory of the latter shall be better than the former. And for these guys, we know the story. At the end of the day, you know, their God became the God of the land. The same thing happened to Daniel. So in this season that we're waiting for our full recovery, when we find ourselves in any situation that contravenes or contradicts the things of God, we must remain faithful. You know, it is human nature that we complain or we moan and all that, but we have to, we have to, be, we have to be faithful. I remember that, and I'm sure that, um, I mean, I shared that before, when Pastor, Pastor shared this several times, that he said it on this altar, that there was a time he was asking God for something that was dear to him. 
But he went further to say, well, God, if you don't give it to me, I will still continue to serve you. That's limitless trust. And that is the position that we need to be. He said it here several times on the altar. Eventually, God answered what he was asking for. So, thank you. Thank you for the encouragement. So that nervous, eh? <laughs> Praise the Lord. So, that's the, that's, that's, that, that, that's the situation that we need, we, need, we need to be. So, what's our first thing that we need to do? Our commitment to God must be above all conflicts. And our trust in God must be what? Limitless. So, um, let's read um, Jeremiah 17, verses 5, 5 to 8. We'll read that. This is what the Lord says. Horse is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wasteland, and they will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence in him, and they will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its fruit by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. That's the word of God. Our trust must be in God totally. No other person. Let's read um, Genesis 40 verse um, 12 to 23. Now, um, please go to verse 14 just because of um, our a time. Go to verse 14. So verse 14. This story, Joseph here was in prison, right? And then he had a dream. And I mean, two, two folks that were in prison with him, they had dreams. And he interpreted the dreams to them. And they were very excited. And one of them, he told them that the guy will, will be released and get back into the palace. And the guy was released and got back into the palace. Hear what, hear what um, Joseph said. Only remember me when Keep going. It is well with you. And please, do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. And he was right. You know, he didn't do anything. So he had helped somebody in the prison that he felt that had power. And he wanted that for, for that particular guy when he gets out to help him, to remember him. When the chief baker saw that, that's the second interpretation dream. Please keep going. Go to 18. He interpreted the second dream and, um, and he, keep going. You know, we know the story, so because of time. So keep going, please. Keep going. Then he restored the chief cup bearer, as the first guy, to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's forehead hand. But he hung, he hung the chief baker. That's the second dream that Joseph interpreted it as Joseph has interpreted to them. So his two dreams came to pass. Now, see what the Bible says. Yet, the chief cup bearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. The Bible says the arms of flesh shall fail. I mean, can you imagine that? If you go to the next chapter, which I didn't put in my notes, but I mean, all of us have read it. The Bible says that that guy forgot Joseph for two solid years. He didn't remember him. And I'm sure God waited just for Joseph to understand. I mean, that look, the arms of flesh cannot depend on man. Because the word of knowledge has come forth that you'll be blessed, blah, blah, blah. You don't have to go and start telling your uncle that, eh, where, where is that thing? There are places of where you ask for help, but you cannot depend on man. Joseph was forgotten for two solid years. 
So it was after God showed a dream to Pharaoh that led to Joseph's release. So that's, 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 that's where we need to be. Our trust has to be totally, totally in God. So, our next Bible reading is 1 Kings 17, 7 to 16. 7 to 16. Sometime later, the brook dried up, and because there had been no rain in the land, then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called and bring him, and he called and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son for this is what the Lord the God of Israel says the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run down until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. I'm sure we've read that story several times. Now, God spoke to Elijah. God did not speak to the woman. So his recovery has been declared, but she didn't know it. Right? So therefore, the next thing we must be doing, or we must learn to do, is we must demonstrate our faith through obedience. Our faith must be demonstrated through obedience. When the, Lord, when the word of the Lord comes forth, we have, to, we have to, obedience and faith, they go together. The Bible says that um, Abraham was counted righteous because of obedience. Because he just, I mean, he agreed to go and sacrifice Isaac. So this woman here, if her, his son died, and also um, um, Elijah healed his son as well, you know, it's, it's, um, she obeyed. I mean, she had a choice. She could have said, well, sorry, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to eat it and die. And she would have died. But her faith was completed in obedience. So we're going to be in a situation where we're going to have faith. We're going to be, you know, obedience is, the, is, is, is I mean, it's a major thing. There, when it comes to spiritual things, I'm extremely obedient. At work, occasionally, when I don't agree with what I've been told or I've been directed to do, by the grace of God, I have enough confidence to tell whoever the boss is and say, I'm going to do what you told me to do. And that's because you are the boss. But I don't agree with it. And if the consequences come, this is what it's going to be. But I'll do it. Same way. If, if anybody in church who is of spiritual authority tells me to do something, as long as it's not against God, I'll do it. But the problem, the challenge we have is that, you know, we, we have a major issue with, with, um, with, with, with obeying 
I'm going to give you two testimony. And before I give those testimony, I would like to say this ahead of time. Pastor has not seen my notes. We've not discussed what my notes are. So whatever I'm saying here is, is, is mine. They are my thoughts. So he has not influenced or directed what I'm saying. So that because when I mention his name and I do all that, people ask a lot of questions. So I just said I'll, I'll say that ahead of time. I'd like to share uh, a testimony. During the Lord's Degree Again service, one of them in 2016, we finished, a lady came to the front right here and said I should pray with her. I said, okay, what's the issue? And somebody that I know, I've seen, uh, we, she works for the biggest multinational servicing company, industry, I mean, oil, industry, all, all servicing company, biggest one. That's, I won't mention their name, that's what she works for. And I've seen her several times outside at work. In fact, at the time, I've held their invoices that said I'm going to pay because of some things they did that were not professional. And so we've had confrontation, and I, I stood my ground. But she came and said, I should pray with her. That she had. I said, what's the issue was? She said that she had been transferred to the UK. And the way that company works, once they transfer you out of a location, she had gone abroad and back several times. So they moved their people a lot. Once, once you are told to leave Nigeria, they, they pay you off all your money, and they carry your pension, and they terminate your contract in Nigeria. So where you go next, it's your business with them. That's where you are going to be. And that's where you're going, to be, you're going to be working. So she had been told to go to the UK. She went to the embassy. And I, I, I tried to believe her. She told me that she made a genuine mistake. Her documentation were inconsistent. You know, where, where you, if your date of birth is somewhere, and then another place is wrong. So those guys were, they thought she was fraudulent. So she came and said, I should pray with her, and wanted to bring her passport out for me to lay her hands on it. I said, oh, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'll pray with you, but I'm going to direct you to Adassa to go and see Pastor. That, you know, some things are beyond some of us, so go see Pastor. So, and I think she went. So, she had gone to the embassy one time. They caught her. They didn't, they didn't give it to her. So, she waited six months. She went a second time. They didn't give it to her. So, she had to wait. By the time she wait for, this, for the second six months, of course, they had to cancel her contract in Nigeria. She might be out of job. So, she went, and I think the told, Pastor told her to come on Tuesday. Or she went to see pastor, prayed with, him, with her, and she, she went back to the embassy without an invitation. That was during the week. By Friday of that week, she had left the country. So here's the deal. This is an outsider. It's not one of us. But because we're here and we're so close to the anointing, you know, it's, it's not a big deal to us. She had, she had, Friday, we couldn't get a hold of her anymore. But she had gone. She got, she got her work permits. That is an outsider. So that's, number one, not only the faith, but the obedience that she was told to go, you know, just go there. And that's what we need to do. We must demonstrate our faith through obedience at all times. The second one I'm going to share, and I'm sure Pastor is hearing this for the first time, he's watching online, and even my wife is hearing it for the first time. It's not out of malice, but there are just some things that you, I mean, it's not necessary to share. So, Pastor sent me a, a so now, by the way, please don't go and ask him and tell him, to, tell him to be giving you gifts. I was at home, Pastor sent me a few socks, you know, uh, that men wear in their shoes. Sent it to my wife, and she brought it home, gave it to me downstairs in the nylon, and I, and I kept it there. I said, thank you, Pastor. So, I took it when I was going to bed. I went to my wardrobe. When I was going to put it in the wardrobe, I think it's the Holy Spirit, whatever it is, on my mind, but I think it's the Holy Spirit, says that, I will only use these socks in the day of trouble. That the day I need help, 
for anything. That's the day I will use these socks. So I put it at the bottom of my wardrobe. There are like three pairs. And so several months later, I was nominated to do something in the office that was going to be extremely beneficial to me and also personal things and all that. So everything was arranged. Um, I was going to travel and all that. I mean, it's not about traveling by the grace of God. But I had a dream like two weeks before that I was meant to, to, to go that I saw a senior person out of the country who, who, who manages our function in Nigeria. Speaking, I saw it like that, well, Judah doesn't need to come for this thing. You know, I mean, there's no point that we're, we're saving money, cost is an issue. So when I woke up following morning, I'll be honest with you, I didn't pray about it. But when I was dressing up, I remember the socks. So I took the socks and I wore it to work. And I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't say anything. And a day before I left the country, my boss called me and said, you know, by the way, two weeks ago, they were trying to cancel this thing and we had to fight back and forth and over it. So in my mind, I said, eh, really? But I didn't say anything. But I, I mean, I knew, but I'd forgotten, you know, of, of fairness. But so what I'm saying is that Faith and obedience, that one is just total faith. I just kept, I mean, I, when I was putting it in the wardrobe, and you say, okay, what's the big deal? The pastor gave you something. I'll tell you what the big deal is. Few weeks, few, few, um, several, maybe last year or two years ago, pastor was teaching about the apostles, how they die and all that, you know, after Jesus Christ died. So I went back and did my research. Um, Thomas died a violent death because she was trying to, he was trying to convert the wife of a king. And guess what? Eventually, he converted the wife. That's what led to his death. They killed him. But the, the king got converted. And after Thomas was dead, his grave, you know, they had his grave. The, the, the king was sick. The son of the king was sick. And they all, they took those people and they laid on the grave of Thomas and they were healed. Right? Go and read it. It's, it's public knowledge. Now, if that happened in the past, so why can't it happen now? We started fasting 28 days ago, right? It's four weeks today. Pastor started fasting before us. And as of during the week, I'm not sure he has stopped. So if somebody like that gives you something, even if you didn't say anything, anointing is flowing with it. So, so I'm not saying that you should see him and tell him that he needs to give you a gift. That's not what I'm saying. Let him be led by the Holy Spirit to send you a gift. Praise the Lord. So, what are the three things that we have learned? Our commitment to God must be above all conflicts. Our trust in God must be limitless. And we must demonstrate our faith through obedience. When we don't obey authority over us, what we have chosen to, what we have chosen, we have chosen to be held accountable where we are only meant to be responsible. There are two things. There's responsibility and there's accountability. When we decide that, okay, I don't want to be, I don't want to obey you, so I'm taking away the rot of accountability from the person that's supposed to be responsible on myself. That's what we're doing. For example, if, if governments give a contract, a minister gives a contract to somebody, the person that the contract is given to is responsible. But the minister is accountable. Same way in church. Your leader is accountable for you. As long as it's not leading you in anything that is against Christ, you are supposed to be 
I mean, obedience is a big deal in any relationship. So a situation anywhere where we say that we, we, we disobey, we are taking on the rot of accountability. Because accountability is a bigger thing than being responsible. Praise the Lord. So our next Bible reading is Genesis 30, verse 15 to 21. Realizing that their father was dead, Joseph's brother said, what if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pay us back in full? Keep going. For all the wrong that we did to him. So they approached Joseph saying, your father gave this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong they did in harming you. Now, therefore, please forgive the crime of servants of God, of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brother also wept, fell down before him, and said, We are here as your slaves. Keep going. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. I am in the place of God. Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. In this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. We know the story of Joseph. So our next point is no vengeance. No vengeance. We have to, you know, people must have done us evil. They might, take, might have taken things away from us. Nothing, I don't think anything could be bigger than people that wanted to kill you. They treated you in the pit. They sold you to slave traders. And now you're in a position to help them or put them in jail or kill them. But, you know, he held no... So God sees the heart. That's the issue. So if you don't prepare our heart, then it's a, it's a big problem. So no vengeance. Don't say that, you see, when I recover, when I become rich, you see what thing I'll go do for you. You know, we, we, we can't do that. Most of us are in that place. Um, God is helping me. You know, the Bible says that do unto others as you want them to do unto you. For a long time, and I mean for a long time, I used to think that that means... Um, do unto others what they have done to you. That's not what it means. It says do unto others as they have done, as you want them to do unto you. Not that do unto others as they have done to you. I mean, one of the, one of the, one of the verses I've heard the most in my life, you know, is um, do not repay evil for evil. And um, um, repay, repay, good with, uh, repay evil with good. And you can guess where that comes from all the time. Because when I make up my mind, I say, okay, don't worry. I'll show you Pepe for that thing you did. So, but God, God is delivering me on a daily basis. You know, so no vengeance. We cannot plan vengeance. We can't. Because Joseph did not revenge. So also the story of Anna. He did not, Anna did not revenge. In fact, when Anna was looking for a child, when Anna was praying for Samuel and doing all that, she didn't have in her mind that I am going to make sure that when my son comes, you see what I'll do to you. No, she didn't have that. If she does, if she did, if she had that, probably she wouldn't have it. So we, we, we can't be waiting to, 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 to retaliate to our enemies in this, in this process of recovery. Maybe, somebody, maybe your, 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 your stepmom or anybody or your friend or your sister has been on your case and eventually God is delivering you and you're saying, well, I'm going to go back. No. If you have that mind, I mean, Yoruba people have an adage. They say that a child that says when he grows up that he will continue to eat the head of a guinea fowl, that the spirit of the guinea fowl will not let that child grow up. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's a Yoruba added. So we cannot be planning, if, 
even for the future. You know, has a lot of, um, a lot of, <laughs> praise the Lord. Let's read Proverbs 5, verse 21. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Now, that seems to be straightforward. But here's what I, 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 I mean, I, I, I normally take out of that. For you to feed somebody, you need to have the means, right? So God is saying, I'm going to bless you. That's why you'll be able to feed your enemy. That's, that's a prerequisite. So if you have the heart that I'm going to bless my enemy, God will bless you. But if you want to revenge, then it won't come. And it's, only, it's not only in one place. Romans 12, verse 19 to 21. Romans 12. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, again, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coal on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's the, that's the scripture I was telling you the other time. Praise the Lord. So we cannot be preparing for, for, for vengeance in everything that we do. So what have we learned so far? Our commitment to God must be above all conflicts. Our trust in God must be? We must demonstrate our faith true and know? Praise the Lord. Okay. Thank you. First Samuel, verse 11. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. Now, this is Anna, right? And we know the story. Year in, year out, she was looking for a baby. But she made a, she made a vow. She said, okay, Father, if you give me this, I'm going to return it back unto you. So the next thing we are talking about is covenant, I put in bracket vows, provokes blessings. Covenant, and I put in, in bracket, vows pro, provokes blessings. I mean, we know the story of Anna, but as, as soon as she made that vow, and she made that covenant, God blessed her. Let's um, read Genesis 28, verse 10 to 22. Jacob left Bathsheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God, Abraham and the God of, of Isaac, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, and to the north and to the south, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offerings. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, 
I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, please note carefully, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early in the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I am taking, and I will, journey I'm taking, I will give, I will give me, and give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be the God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Now, Anna didn't get any promise. She was looking for something. She made a vow. This guy, Jacob, God had told him, I'm going to do this. But he, you know, to provoke that blessing, he made a vow. He didn't have to do that. He made a vow. Saying, God has already told him, I'm going to do this. But to, to, you know, I mean, to provoke, to manifest that blessing, he decided that he, he made a vow. And guess what? You know, God said he's going to multiply him and all that. After this occurrence, if you go to the next chapter, that's when he found his wife. You know, the blessings begin to manifest. So, covenant vows provoke blessings. We need to, we need to learn how to, 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 to do our own private moment with God. And this is something about vow. As a church, we are committed to God. We give God a lot. And, but as an individual, there's a place that you stand alone with God, one-on-one, and say, Father, if you do this for me, this is what I'm going to do for you. And now, you have to make sure that whatever you say is what you'll be committed to do. Not that you tell God that, oh, if you heal me, I'll come to church seven days a week. Even when nobody's here, I'll come. You don't want to go that route. You know, some of us have done that in the past. And, and you know, you have to pay your vow. But there's a place for vow to provoke blessings. I mean, fantastic. It's fantastic. Pastor is praying for every one of us. Your pastor is praying for you. In fact, there are probably three major people that pray for you the most. Your pastor, your spouse, and your parents. And they are powerful prayers. But there are places that you will be alone with God and you, made a, you make a commitment and say, Father, if you do this for me, this is what I'm going to do. And there are several examples in the Bible. And we're going to look, look at a few, um, a few more of that. Um, Judges 21, 11, Judges 11, verse 29 to 39. I'm not going to read it. Please, when you get home, read it because of time. And time is fast spent. Here, this guy was driven out of town because he, he was born by a, prost, a, a, a concubine to, the, to, the, to, to his father. But when God, when God recovered him, you know, they had to go beg him to come back and fight for, them, for his people. Please read it when you, when, when you get home. But on his way to go fight the war, he made a covenant. And unfortunately, that's why you have to be careful of the vow that you make. He said that whoever that comes out to greet him first when he comes back, he will sacrifice that person. Unfortunately, his daughter was the first person that came out when he came back. So that's why you need to be careful of the vow that you know of the vow that of the vow that you make. But there's a place for vow to provoke blessings. 
And I will, I mean, I have a lot of examples, and I'll I, I just share one or two. Um, when we're in COD, actually in 2007, where the, um, the bridge, a lot of, so you need to do the journey to understand my story. That's why you need to do the journey. In 2007, we just got back um, into the country after our first expatriate assignment. And in 2008, we're doing God, we do it again in um, TOG. And being in country in 2007, 2008, I had a dream that I was called and told that you're going to go on another assignment. Mm, and I said to myself, ah, that doesn't happen. You know, that, that really happens. That, that's not. So I said, okay, God, I repent. And I prayed and I, I just let it be. So in 2008, when we're doing God with it again, I wasn't a worker, by the way. So it doesn't, I mean, I brought the brother to be a worker. What I'm saying is that I wasn't as close to God as I am now. I mean, I was close to God, but I wasn't seven. Let me put it that way. My wife was, was teaching in children's church, was a worker. So at that God would do it again. I left home, and that was when, you know, when I had the dream. I left home in that morning. My wife had gone to church, took the kids. And when I was leaving home, I was taking my shower and all that. I was thinking, blessed be the name of the Lord and all that. And when I got into church, that was the song that was going on. I said, well, God, you are making a confirmation this morning. So that went. So in 2009, a year later, I didn't hear anything. So I went to God when we were doing the God with again and again. And I said, Father, you know, you have said this thing, and you're surely good enough to make it to come to pass. So I went to God. I knew Pastor then. I mean, I talked to him, but I'd never been to his house, and he had never been to mine. So I wasn't close to him, but I knew him, and I knew he was serving God. That, that, I mean, there was no doubt about that. He was fasting or doing all things. So I knew he was serving God. So I went into my private moment, and I said, God, that thing you told me that I'm going, if it happens, though, this is your son. This is what I'm going to do for him. It's, it's called using the head of people around you. You're say you're using your head. Yes, because Elisha said, where's the God of Elijah when he struck the river? He was using Elijah's head. So there's nothing wrong in using your pastor's head, you know, using it rightly. Huh? <laughs> that's, that's, I mean, you are using his God. So I went to my private woman. He didn't know about it. In fact, I didn't tell him until the thing manifested and we're leaving the country. That's when I went to his house for the first time and I told him that this is the vow I made and this is what I'm going to do. So there's a place for that. He didn't know about it. I didn't even, as I said, I knew him, I, I, I greeted and all that, but we're not close. I've, I've never been to his house. So, but I, I went to my private woman and I did that. And a year later, he manifested. And I went and fulfilled my commitment. If I there were circumstances around that time that was almost preventing me from fulfilling my co commitment, but because I committed to God, not to man, I went to fulfill my commitment. So there's a place for God. Praise the Lord. And finally, what we're going to look at is First um, Samuel 1, verse 4 to 7. We're going to read that quickly. First Samuel 1, verse 4 to 7. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Anna, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Now, take note of that. The Lord closed Anna's womb. He wasn't it wasn't a mother-in-law or any spirit. Because the Lord had closed Anna's womb, her rival kept on provoking her in order to irritate her, right? Which is, her, I mean, the second wife. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. You know why I decided that we should read that place? Anna had a fantastic child eventually, right? Someone. But the children of the other people 
We didn't hear about, did we? So when you wait on God, waiting on God leads to latter glory. When you wait on God, it leads to latter glory. That's what it means. When you wait on God, it's leading to only one place, to latter glory. And we're not going to read it. When you go home, please read Judges chapter 13. And the mother of Samuel had to wait. The mother of, I mean, I mean, the mother of Samuel waited. The mother of Samson in Judges had to wait. The mother of um, John the Baptist in Luke 1 had to wait. So everyone that waited for a child in the Bible, they had special children. So when you wait, the things you get is better than the things other people get. So when I see people waiting, I'm very happy for them. Same thing with Sarah. Same thing with Sarah. So waiting on God is leading to latter glory. Praise the Lord. So what are the things that we have learned? Number one, our commitment to God must be our trust in God must be we must demonstrate our faith through no covenants, vows and waiting on God leads to latter glory. In closing, thank you, in closing, if you are here and you are wondering that, okay, they're talking about this God, I don't even know him. So how am I going to get into this mode of recovery? God is ever faithful. God is available at all times. I'm going to close with a short story. Just bear me three minutes and I'm gone. There's a gentleman, let's pull up my slide. There's a gentleman called John that was born in the 18th century. You can read it as well. And in London to a Putrian mother. Now, when I read stories, when I see a word I don't understand, I go ahead and try to understand. Putrian, Puritan, sorry. Puritan means like Protestants of those days. They have a code. They live a way of life. So bottom line, she was a Christian mom. But the story I say that, and the reason they say it, we all know that the mother died two weeks before the guy was seven, when John was born. Before he was seven, the mom died. Before the seventh birthday. But he had a father who is a, is a sea captain. Now, people that work on the ship, I mean, uh, we have Christians working on ship and they won't do that, but most of them are rough, you know, they drink, they carry women and all that. So that's what they were trying to portray to us here. So that's the father of, of, of John. Now, why serving in, in a, on a ship? John, John did not get along with his people, you know, and then, um, you know, sorry, excuse me. Anyway, this guy went to the, went to the army and they, they had to discharge him. So, please keep, keep going on my slide. They had to discharge him and then they gave him eight lashes and was reduced to the rank of common seaman. So, eventually, he had to leave the army. Keep going. Keep going so that they can see it. So he, he had to leave the army, and then um, his father took him to Africa to be part of slave trade, and they left him with a, with, with a man called um, Chloe, who gave him to his wife. I mean, his life was rough, and he was into slave trade and was doing all kinds of things. And I mean, when they did the story, if you go on Google or anywhere and you look at it, they even said that he had a relationship with his, um, with his person that was keeping him, that he had, he had an affair with, him, with that person, that just making fun. But eventually the father went to rescue him. And in the process of trying to rescue him, please keep going. In the process of trying to rescue him, he, um, he, the father died. And then on his way back to England, you know, eventually he was coming back to England, the, the ship almost capsized. And they say that somehow, miraculously, one of the cargoes filled the hole 
in the keep going. So you see, and, and, and God and the cargo miraculously shifted to fill a hole in the ship hole, and the vessel drifted to safety. Keep going. John took this as a sign from Almighty and marked it as the, as the conversion to Christianity. He did not radically, he did not radically change his ways at once. His total reformation was more gradual. See what he said. I cannot consider myself to have been a believer in the full sense of the word until a considerable time afterwards. He later wrote, he did begin reading the Bible at this point. So this guy was converted, but he went through a lot. In fact, history has it that the, the, the ship that he was in, when they come, when they are three miles to the UK, it will be so smelly. Like in a place that can take 90 people, 30 people, they will put 90. This is John guy. And guess who was the John? It's John Newton, the guy that wrote Amazing Grace. So if John could convert and wrote that powerful song, if I over 10 million Amer um, slaves, American, um, what's it called, descendants of slaves, they sing that song year in year, John was converted. Because of our time, we won't be able to sing that song. But if you're here tonight, I mean this morning, with all head bows, all head bow and eyes closed, I'm calling on you that whatever that you have done is as good, is, can be as, is as, it's probably as worse as John. But God is here to redeem your soul. So by show of hand, if you want to call on to this God and have a change of heart today, please show me your hand. You don't have to come to the front. You want to say, I want to give my life to Christ. Raise up, raise it up very well. Raise it up very well. I want to give my life to Christ. I thank you. I can see you, my sister. Thank you. God bless you. I want to give my life to Christ. I want to commit. I want to turn away from all that, that I've done in the past. Or even you're a Christian, but you have gone away a little bit, but you want to come back. The opportunity is here. Father, we thank you for this one. This one's because in your power of the blood of Christ that was shed on Calvary, they have come to bring their mind and their soul and their spirit to you. Lord, you accept them in the name of Jesus and they will not turn back in the name of Jesus and they will remain with us forever. In Jesus' name we are praying. GFH, rejoice!